This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy, right here on RCR. Former Labour politician and now New Zealand First candidate Shane Jones needs no real introduction. He's been around the traps, he's been part of the elites, and now he's seen the light and standing in Northland for New Zealand First. Welcome to The Crunch, Shane. Yeah, greetings from the today sunny Northland, the land of uh, aspiration, hope and growth. <laughs> yeah, the, the electorate race in Northland this year is real interesting. Um, there's a lot hanging on it for a, a number of parties, New Zealand First being one of those. Um, do you think you're taking a risk of splitting the vote here and letting Willow Jean Prime carry on as the MP? Well, I think we need to bear in mind, since 1996, the average vote that the Labour candidate in Northland has attracted is about 8,000. The outlier result was the last election when Willow Jean um, secured 17,000 votes against the 16-odd thousand from Matt King. And I've got no doubt in my mind that this election, the Labour percentage of the vote will drop back to about seven to 8,000, which is the usual norm. Uh, Matt King, he's um, standing, obviously. Uh, Grant McCullum for the National Party and myself from New Zealand First. So it's going to be a, an exciting race. And to be honest with you, mate, whoever captures the eight and a half, nine thousand 9,000 votes that Willow filched last time in the COVID election will win this seat. And is that you, Shane? Well, I'm in to win. We've started very early. We had a campaign launch at our local pub, which in itself takes risks because people tend to be a bit lubricated by and, and uh, <laughs> uh, somewhat intolerant of long political speeches. But anyway, we uh, managed to come out of that relatively unscathed. And the strategy has been to crystallise the message and actually go to the small nooks and crannies and hamlets because Northlands are widely distributed. It's not as bad as some South Island electorates or the yeah. East Coast, but look, it takes a good three hours um, on our roads up here to go to the southern end of the electorate from the northern part. I've been well received. I think it's uh, fair to say last time around people didn't show me the love. Uh, you can always say, uh, Cam, that we could have tried harder in that COVID election. But look, Winston said to me, Shane, that's in the past. I won yep. the seat with 15,500 votes. Now get out there and recover what I had. So so what are you focusing on then? What's what's the Jones boy saying to the electorate are the, are the critical things that need to be done in Northland? And that it's critical that they elect you to make sure that those things happen. What, what do you see as those key issues for Northland? Well, like all politicians, let's start with the personality that people uh, perceive. Uh, number one, my byline is action, not talk. We're running on uh, with pride on our record for having delivered for Northland over the three-year period. And, you know, it's a substantial amount of capital that was injected into Northland, and most of it went on infrastructure. Because I'm 63 years old, 57 years of my life, we've had national MPs up here. We've got the worst roads, we've got the crappiest services, and we've got some of the most intransigent types of um, social problems. So number one, 
running on the record. Number two, I've led with my chin against the feral spread of criminality in the North, driven by not only drugs, but a complete spread of dysfunctionalism where uh, people's demands that their entitlements be respected is inversely related to their willingness to uphold responsibilities, duties, and obligations. So I've been really strong in that regard. And more importantly, saying that no one's going to save us, Cam. We've got to save ourselves. Yeah. And this notion that we can regulate our way into wealth and uh, growth in the North, which is uh, what we're currently ensnared with, is going to destroy the North. So I repeat again, someone who delivered against all odds. I think our, I think my record is uh, beyond anyone else that served in the Jacinda Winston um, government as, as a minister because I genuinely got things done. And secondly, I'm not going to take a backward step with the spread and creep of criminality within Māoridom and the broader Northland community, taking on uh, the egregious behaviour of the gangs. But underneath all that, mate, we're not going to grow unless people are made to be responsible for sending their kids to school, standing up, earning a living, and also standing up for the values of the community, which should eclipse the uh, personal agendas that um, some households have. And the last thing, obviously, is uh, is hope and growth. And we're only going to have growth when we've got uh, a bunch of rules and regulations and capital that uh, unleashes the north. For example, the three huge water dams that I funded that has opened up the land for lots of investment and new potential. Well, I noticed that... Um that the government tried to claim credit for for that dam and the funding for for one of those dams when they opened uh, opened the details on that. Willow Jean Prime was was forefront saying that we've delivered this, but it's it was actually uh, provincial growth fund funding that uh, that delivered that, and that that's directly a result of New Zealand First. So, some some yeah, would say it was the Shane right. Yeah, some would say it was the Shane Jones re-election fund, but. Uh, <laughs> Those people generally vote blue. Yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, they've got a look. Voters have a choice this time. Uh, if they vote for Grant, uh, Grant's a bit uh, not quite as old as me, but he's hardly a spring chicken. He'll never be a minister. Grant McCullum, the national candidate, will never ever be a minister. He may a little bit like Shane Adern from uh, Taranaki rise to be the chairman of a select committee. Uh, he'll be kept in the back benches, relatively obscure and um, powerless, quite frankly, over the next three years in the event there is a national-led government. Uh, Willow ha- was handed the seat through COVID and she's done nothing with it. There's not been any fresh injection of capital up here. Um, the uh, NZTA are spending some money in the Mangamuka Gorge, but that's State Highway 1. You should expect that we in the North have resilient um, accessible and um, safe roads to drive on. You don't need to campaign on that every three years. It's just an expectation that we have. But uh, look, the point is well made. One shouldn't take anything for granted, but uh, I genuinely believe that uh, we're in with a major chance up here. We've just got to continue to spread the message and uh, beat the drum and go out and meet the people. Because Northland Electric. You know, uh, normally you pointed out it's been what, what fifty-seven years with national MPs. Uh, normally, the Northland election race is very yawn-inducing. It was oh yeah, national one again in Northland. This election, though, it's kind of special because if you win Northland and New Zealand First 
only gets 4%, then you're still in. And the same goes for Matt King. It's it's all it's it's all or nothing on Northland, particularly for Matt King. Do you have that feeling yourself, Shane, that it's all or nothing for Northland for New Zealand First, or do you think New Zealand First is going to get a few more vote, get, get well over the five percent, and Northland will be um, icing on the cake? Yeah, that's definitely how I feel. I think it's. Um... It'd be tremendous if I could emulate the feat of Winston, which he achieved in the by-election in 2015, and secure the seat for um, Northland. That would be a tremendous uh, outcome, both for the party and for the North. However, look, I'm, it's not fair to say I'm dismissive, but I'm a doubting Thomas about the accuracy of the polls yeah. that are bobbing around at the moment. I feel that a lot of the decision-making will come down to the actual campaign uh, in early September to the middle of October, to early October. Uh, those debates will expose whether or not Christopher Luxon can handle the incandescent pressure that you do um, suffer during an election campaign. It'll be an opportunity for Winston to demonstrate that the reservoir of experience and um, knowledge that he has, and also a reminder, mate, you know, mm. nigh on 25% of all voters uh, are over the age of 65. And we shouldn't trash that experience. That's why I've got a very dim view about people who, who um, well, I'm 63, but uh, who have a view that um, we're all, um, what do they call us, boomers, and uh, our, our interests are irrelevant to the future of the country. The, the so same. I'm very confident that we'll make the 5%. Yeah, the, it's uh, funny. The, the crowds are packing into the halls. And I just feel people aren't um, in a situation where they really want to express how they feel at the moment because there's been a culture of censorship which has grown over the last three years. And and that's one thing that I've I've noticed from your speeches, your TikTok videos, uh, your Facebook videos. You and New Zealand First seem to be railing against this uh, woke revolution that's happening, which you know, the same people that are calling you and I boomers and, and dismissive and of, of you know, us being old and having grey hair or whatever, they're the same people who get upset if you call them the, by the wrong pronouns. It's it's kind of strange. You know, the same people who are hurling insults don't like insults coming back their way. Yeah, well, in the event I ever wash up as a minister again, I don't ever want to receive a letter with he, she, they, them. I, I just... I'm perplexed as to how the hell New Zealand ended up in a situation where a tiny sliver of the population, for them, the most dominating issue in their life is their gender. That is not the main issue in Taitokero, Northland. That is not the main issue in the vast majority of households I encounter. And the fact that the social revolution has eclipsed a host of other far more important issues, I think, is an indictment on the current regime. I completely detest the notion that men can walk um, unfettered into ladies' toilets. And, and I just feel that it's inverting some of the um, major influences that define us who we are as Kiwis. But there it is. You know, it is what it is. Personally, if you want to make your lifestyle choices as a part of your bedroom politics or how you live your life in your own home and your family, that's your business. But this notion that somehow it's a riveting all-encompassing issue in comparison to everything else that people complain to me about. It's a tiny, infinitesimal issue 
to me as a New Zealand First politician, and I don't ever want to receive a letter from anyone uh, demanding that I regard them as a he, she, they, them. The content of your advice is what I'm interested in. Yeah. Character of your gender, I couldn't give a hoot. But isn't this part of the the woke revolution to segregate, divide, create uh, antipathy in society so that everyone's at each other's throats? And that even goes down to the racial divisions that this regime has fostered, you know, where we hear constantly in the media how hard done by Maori are, how woeful they are at doing these things. How it's to, it seems to me from an outsider, you know, I was born in Fiji, so you know, I'm a Kaiviti. I was born in Fiji. Yeah. So for me to, to sit here and listen to the media and politicians demean Maori and disable them with these attitudes, at the same time uh, pouring billions of dollars into various different projects that don't seem to do anything to actually assist Maori, and health reforms are a huge one that you could you could point to. And then I look at people like yourself, uh, you know, a Maori New Zealander standing in a general seat. And I think it's kind of like you're the kind of people that that we want to see that everyone's just, we're all just Kiwis, aren't we? Yeah, and this yeah, division. We're, yeah, we're, we've ended up, we've ended up, I think, in a very, very dangerous space. And it hadn't, it, it didn't just arrive over the last 18 months, but it's been, turbocharged by Jacinda and the current government, and also aided by the Green Party and the Māori Party, the notion that a political party such as the Greens should be running on a writ that reopens Treaty of Waitangi claims, that changes the law and basically makes as a permanent state of crisis the grievance mentality of Māori um, hapus and iwis is is not only um, ugly, but it's going to condemn New Zealand to a constant state of polarisation. Now, the Green Party have these extreme ideas. The Waitangi Tribunal, in my view, by 2025 should be closed down. If not closed down, vastly pared back, it has served its purpose. The Waitangi Tribunal has no business determining matters of a constitutional character, including whether or not sovereignty has been ceded, whether or not self-government at an iwi level should be tolerated. Those matters lie at the heart of what it means to be a Democrat, a uh, citizen in a unified nation with, un with, 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 a, with an indivisible citizenship. And I think there's a market out there for what Winston has been saying, and I've been supporting him. And unless we stand up and boost a sense of patriotism, loyalty, and national pride and economic nationalism, we are going to end up as a version of the bleaker aspects of Fiji, where the economy gets hollowed out and you've got two ethnic groups constantly bickering with each other. That's not the New Zealand that I grew up in. My dad was one of 17 children. My grandmother was born in 1892. She was the first blend of the Dali Maori of the North. And she's the one who gave me my language and a lot of um, my, my knowledge about Māori history. We grew up next to the Marae. I got sent to St. Saint Stephen's School. And the, uh, the, the creed, 
and the poisonous poisonous boilerplate ideas that are being spread, uh, such as co-governance and the other reckless things that uh, the Greens and the Māori Party are throwing around, mate, it's going to alienate more and more Kiwis. Why are, you know, of the Māoris, of the, of the population that give us their identity Māori in a trans-Tasman sense, one in five live in Australia. Now, mm. Australia is hardly a social laboratory of ethnic liberalism when it gets to um, their tangata whenua. But Māori themselves are voting with their feet. They want security, they want economic opportunity, they want quality services, and they want effective outcomes. But because they, the majority of Māori don't have a debate any longer, it's commandeered by a tiny elite who derive considerable power and influence by maintaining this perpetual level of grievance mentality and polarization politics. And that's why Winston and I are sorely needed in the, in, in the regime after the next election. You were part of that Maori elite for a time, though, weren't you, Shane, when you were doing your fisheries work and those sorts of things? It could be, could be said, it could be argued that you were part of that Maori elite uh, back then. Have you seen the light at where this division, this segregation, this polarization heads, head, is heading us towards? And that's why you are actually standing in a general seat, why you're saying the things that, you're, that you've just said to me, you know, which are very important things? You know, I, I believe that when Jim Bolger initiated the settlement of the Māori fisheries claims, it was purely and totally of an economic character. You can't make money out of any industry unless you are a part of that industry. Yeah. Now, once the treaty was imported or moved from those uh, matters of economic importance into social policy, the division of Crown uh, taxpayer funding, and that happened under Tariana Turia, mm. and she agitated for it before she left Labour and set up the Māori Party. So if you go back and think about the 1980s, of the fisheries that you're describing, that came about because of the privatization of access rights to the fisheries. Right. And I'm a property rights man. That's why I hate all these national policy statements that are totally diluting and eroding the property rights of landowners. The, the, the genius of New Zealand's agricultural and primary sector is the flexibility of property rights. So my like a national party was purely of an economic character, and we grew a considerable Māori presence in the industry. That is quite different from introducing co-governance, spreading the uh, spoils of the health system on the basis of ethnicity. You're sounding like um, a true blue national party person standing up for property rights and things like that. Is is that something that nationals perhaps abandoned over the years and is now ceding that argument to the ACT Party or, and or to New Zealand First. Uh, anyone who looks at my record, you'll always know that I've been pro-property rights. My dad was a farmer, and all my experience um, in my own, um, sitting as a representative when I was a young man on tribal affairs, I was always about securing recognition of property rights and then marrying capital to endeavour in creating jobs and wealth. I grew up like that. And um, this isn't a sudden revelation to me. But most of the activists and most of the um, promoters now of the Māori creed, they've moved away from property rights. They are into the creation of a dual sovereignty. They're into the creation of um, too much divisiveness. 
And look, the, the, the vast majority of Māori both don't understand that, and number two, are not interested in it. It's almost as though there's a bloodless civil war going on, which will see New Zealand governed in a different way. And it's been described as, you know, um, that New Zealand has got to find its own unique democracy. But surely democracy is one person, one vote. And anything that prefers uh, uh, a preference in anything, access to health, um, could be even something as, as minuscule as cheaper car parking at the hospital on, that is decided purely on the basis of race is going to head us down a pathway towards everywhere else in the world that's done this has ended in violence. Do, do you see that happening in New Zealand or do we have such a laid back attitude that we'll just, you know, we'll just let it happen to us and you know, we'll just carry on? Well, inertia is one of the greatest foe in any democracy, mate. Yeah. And that's where uh, you do get um, egregious cases of corporatism or you have a, 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 the entrenchment of a, of a small elite rising to the top. You only have to look at the Middle East. Indeed, Latin America shows what happens when inertia then turns into an opportunity to suppress dissent. Now, I don't feel that New Zealand um, will inexorably end up there. But look, unless we stand up for the foundation values that define who we are as Kiwis, bit by bit, we're going to erode and corrode what it means to be a Kiwi. And, and I don't care if I sound old-fashioned and folksy speaking in that <laughs> vein. This is yep. what the campaign is going to be about when I'm in the North. And I don't hide these ideas from um, people that are my phenomenas, my relations, or in other parties. I say, hey, this is a contest of ideas. And if the people um, embrace and accept my ideas, then we'll be voted in. Uh, if not, then fine, we're on another trajectory. I don't believe that other trajectory, which will end up where more and more Kiwis are so afraid or so scared of openly talking about what is it that comprises the eclipsing premier predominant values in New Zealand and democracy has to be right at the top. There is, you know, that's why I've been saying, hey mate, I'm all for putting the K back in Iwi. And like, I speak the language. Yeah. <laughs> my mum was a school teacher and encouraged pride and uh, my grandmother and my dad and, and our church, the Anglican church encouraged pride in all our ethnicity, all, all our, as we say up north, the Whakapapa, Dalmatian, Welsh, and Māori. And um, what's really important now is that we identify and fight for the things that make us essential Kiwis, because our whole demography is changing. There's 100,000 new migrants coming here. The Indian leaders themselves have told me many of these migrants are ill-suited for life in New Zealand. Mm. They are not capable of uh, maintaining a, a level of um, economic livelihood, and they're washing up looking for assistance. And that's because every time we uh, open up and act in an unfettered, indiscriminate way and open up the, um, the channels of immigration, we increase our population, we worsen our prospects and infrastructure. Those are the big issues that we need to address, i.e. maintaining solidarity as our population changes, not, not continually rehashing 
Yeah. Uh, what happened 180 years ago? Well, looking forward instead of looking backwards. Yeah, well, you know, the prow of the walkers in the front, the stern is where I'm sure they nipped over the back and had a pee. I'm not interested in that end of the walker. <laughs> yeah. True. Um, and that's the thing, though, isn't it? New Zealand is a, a multicultural society, but we've seen from this government, uh, particularly after 2020, after the 2020 election, a helter-skelter uh, approach to locking in New Zealand as a bicultural nation and ignoring the multicultural uh, aspects. And like you've got uh, the, the Dalmatian aspect in your heritage. Um, I've got Scottish. Winston's got Scottish. Aren't we all just people that have all come here on a ship or a plane anyway, including Maori? I mean, the oral history of Maori says you all got here by boat. So aren't we all colonizers? Yeah, I think um, where we've got to go on this question is we've got to emphasize and elevate a narrative that talks about our overarching pride and who we are in relation to where we live. We're an isolated nation of 5 million odd people in a very distant location in the South Pacific. There is no one other than a colony of uh, penguins to our South. Yeah. And when you conceive the big uh, earth-shaking movements that are taking place between OECD countries, between America and China, the recalibration of um, who's going to enjoy ascendancy in Southeast Asia. Europe. We cannot afford, mate, this insular bickering and petty um, squabbling as to whether or not ethnicity, whether or not some other criterion should be used to improve our socioeconomic outcomes. I feel that in the North area, <clears throat> we've ended up <clears throat> with far too much Wellington-based regulation, which introduces an unhealthy level of um, activism in relation to the Māori involvement, for example, in environmental management. There's a new policy statement called the National Policy Statement on Biodiversity. Now, your listeners, yourself, probably don't even know about it. No one's hardly ever read it. But in that national policy statement created under the RMA to manage Indigenous biodiversity, it has to happen in partnership with the local tangata whenua. Well, who mandated that? Who campaigned on that? Well, how who many endorsed that from the electorate? Now it's the law. And that's what many... I hope to um, enjoy the pleasure of incinerating early in 2024. A policy, a real policy. Maybe New Zealand First should have a real policy bonfire where you get all of these laws that have been promulgated over the years that have introduced these things and have, you know, sell tickets, um, put it in the center of Eden Park, sell tick 40,000 tickets to watch laws be burned. You know, there's, there's some merit in that. Well, sadly, um, these two national policy statements, and they are obscure instruments of law under the RMA have created a platform for ongoing drama between landowners, local tangata whenua, even Māori landowners. So, but anyway, look, it's a flight of, fan it's a flight of fancy. It's an excessive overreach um, of the regulators out of MFE and this current government. Uh, it's going to um, kill the quarry industry. 
It's going to destroy whatever's left of the mining industry. It's going to hobble farming. It's going to prevent any more development of fisheries. And uh, it's a level of red tape that the country can't afford. Because if you're going to run, as I'm running on hope and growth in the north, you can't grow if you're hobbled by foolish laws. And hope soon dissipates if people can't achieve a level of economic self-sufficiency because they're having to hide what they're really doing because they'll never get permission to what what they're going to do anyway. Well, government's just getting in the way of um, economic development, really. Um, you know, the one thing that I've you see constantly people talking about with North, Northland is access to the North. And, uh, you know, for years the Labour Party opposed uh, the, the new highway north of Auckland, calling it the Holiday Highway. They finally admitted it was, that was a mistake to call it that as they took all the glory for bu- building the road. There's still a lot more work to be done on access to the north, isn't there? Mm, the most the most difficult part of the terrain up here is the Brindurwins, which is an area south of Whangarei. Mm. And we definitely need a single plan that four lanes um, access over the Brindurwins. Uh, I've been advised that uh, $150 million is about to be spent on the southern side of the Brindurwins which is quite frankly uh, a foolish way to use that money because what's needed is an alternative route. Now, people have continually talked about it, and this is what I find very frustrating about National. Right back from the days of John Banks being a member in Whangarei, everyone talked a big game. Nothing ever happened. That's That's what happens in Northland. You had John Carter... We had prior to him, Neil Austin. Prior to Neil Austin, we had Logan Sloan. Logan Sloan lost in the 1960s the seat to uh, to, um, to the social credit um, um, chap whose name eludes me at the moment in the mid-60s. We've had, we've had a bunch of politicians who have not known how to use their power and influence because they've been treated as mushrooms. I mean, John was a very good parish priest as a politician up here, John Carter. You can't take that away from him. But his level of influence in the National Party to deliver for the North was pitifully low. And that is my prediction if the North unwisely decides to send another National MP as their sitting member back to Wellington. Yeah, well, Grant's uh, Grant's got a great family name and his his father was a... You know, bastion of the community, but sadly, I don't think Grant is at the same level that his father ever was at. Yeah, his, his dad um, obviously was a key feature of the National Party up here, and they're a well-known farming family in the southern end of the electorate. Yeah, but um, there's just no way Grant is going to be able to match the level of influence and outcomes that Winston and I created for the North in three years. And uh, now the projects are up and running. The, the Matawi water dam in Kaikoui means Kaikoui will never run out of water again. A massive dam being constructed as we speak to the south of Dargaville that will completely transform and unleash the capacity of those elite soils, roundabouts, roads that have been sealed, a, new, a, 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 re, a revamped airport in Kerikeri. These are the uh, accoutrements that are absolutely necessary if you're going to sustain the OECD first world status of New Zealand, certainly in Northland. You need to have modern infrastructure, and these projects are uh, intergenerational 
uh, infrastructure projects rather than painting a few marae and, uh, you know, some of the st stupid spending that was done with the COVID fund. Uh, imagine if we had spent uh, uh, you know, even a fraction of the COVID, what was it, $150 billion or something that they've borrowed. Imagine if they'd spent that on infrastructure-style projects and things like that, uh, not only in the north, but in, in, you know, in East Cape and other rural communities that are isolated by the tyranny of lack of investment in infrastructure over centuries. But, you know, I've also got to blame people on the ground. Like we had, uh, we we allocated fifty to sixty million dollars to create a barging facility near Hicks Bay on the east coast because we had been advised that the roads will never ever attract enough capital to be maintained to the level at which will be required as forestry grows and other industries are attracted to the area. And then we had a small group of cultural muppets. Uh, from some hapu up there. I mean, what do they want to do? Eat fern root for the rest of their lives? And they said, "Oh, this will um, th this will damage the kaimoana." Think about the people. Think about the infrastructure. And I'm sick of seeing New Zealand run and held ransom to. I'm told there's a small um, a small bunch of um, uh, sort of snail-like characters in one of our hapus, Ngati Hini, in the middle of Bay of Islands, who are protesting against the extension of Kiwi Rail. We in New Zealand have created a regime where tiny minorities are able to hold to ransom vast areas of regional New Zealand. It is wrong morally. It is certainly wrong economically. And sadly, it's been enabled legally. And uh, I, I, with the absence of myself and Winston, no one seems to be willing or brave enough to take these people on and say, look, you may have a legitimate concern. But your concern is infinitesimally related to the overarching well-being of the region. So you've had your say. We're moving on. Now pop, pop over there at the back of the kota or wherever you go and play marbles. The rest of us are getting on with the real life. Well, <clears throat> that's the thing, isn't it? I think that you and Winston are able to challenge these small groups because no one can call you a racist. And and that's the level of argument. If you say to someone, well, well, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. But if we do this and we mitigate that and we and we put in place these procedures, then Kaimoana should be okay. Are you okay with that? Nobody stops to say that because if you are not Maori and you make that suggestion, then you get accused of being a racist. It's the first thing out of their mouths. You're right. Oh, you're saying that because you're racist. And so we don't actually have a proper debate unless it's somebody like yourself, Shane, or Winston, who are undeniably Maori, well, challenging these people. Yeah, I mean, we're either going to stick up for the growth of an integrated nation and boost the resilience of our whole country, or we're going to surrender in, in some kind of patchwork way to these tiny constituencies who will be the first to complain if the benefit's not there on time, First to complain if the road is uh, crumbling. We cannot afford, in the face of all this adverse and volatile weather, and this is before I get to the shrillness of the of, of the climate uh, Pharisees. Yeah. We need to maintain alternative um, sources of connectivity. Now, whether it's more marine transportation, which I happen to believe in, uh, boosting more uh, flood uh, flood resilient uh, roading or rail. And 
I've given you two examples. It is wrong for the overarching development of uh, Northland and the East Coast for these tiny groups, tiny groups of cultural termites to eat away at the uh, willpower of the rest of New Zealand to grow an integrated economy and maintain resilience throughout all of our regions. Well, it seems to me, Shane, that uh, your pitch to the people of Northland is anti-wokeism, anti-biculturalism, and more actually supporting the Kiwi way of life as we have learned to enjoy over the decades in New Zealand. And you're saying to the people of Northland, vote for Shane Jones. I'm from here. And I'm going to stop all of this nonsense so that we can grow our region and grow our country as a whole. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, we definitely need we definitely need a gospel that drives growth, and growth should not be compromised by any tiny minority politician, uh, political group, or cultural group exploiting the law. Now, sadly, the uh, the green activists have found a route into uh, ruining the economy via the hapus, mm. and one only needs to look at the unholy alliance between some of these green anti-capitalist nihilists and what they're doing with the deluding our hapus. Now, sadly, their writ has grown considerably. Their influence is inversely related to their size and their contribution to anything positive in the economy. And those types of things, I think, are a, are a, are a kind of incandescent expression of wokeism. Look, it's important that every community Māori community find pride and, and, and meaning in what they consider to be valuable. But that is not a license to use culture or the treaty to frustrate and undermine the overarching development of the country. Simple. The overarching development of the country is mandated, derives its moral authority from democracy. Then democracy delivers politicians through parliament that use the highest court in the land to chart a course forward to, number one, deliver on hope and actually give effect to growth ambitions. And those growth ambitions can happen in Maoridom, they can happen in any community, what you like, but we are not going to tolerate, I'm certainly not in the North, a situation where a tiny group can exploit culture or misuse the treaty to hold the rest of us to ransom. Those days, if you vote for me, buddy, are over. Well, that's uh, probably going to attract quite a lot of votes, uh, that message, Shane. And uh, I wish you all the best for the uh, election campaign. Now, I have a little surprise for you. We, um, we've commissioned a poll in Northland, which we'll have the results next week. So I hope to touch base with you again next week and share the results of that poll in the Northland electorate. And we'll see whether... Shane Jones is leading or Matt King's leading or Grant McCullum's leading or Willow Jean Prime's leading, but we'll have a poll that'll be a stake in the ground for the next three months of the election campaign that you'll be able to gauge uh, to see how, how your progress is going or the progress of, of other candidates. Now, Winston's warned me to be very, very, um, uh, to be a doubting Thomas about polls. So yours, yours will have to reek of integrity. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect anything else. There's no way it's going to be a dodgy poll. That's for sure. I'm not one of those people. I, I've made a lifetime uh, of uh, observing politics, and I've made a living out of um, being involved in politics. 
the last thing I want to do is hang my name and our organization's hat on a dodgy pole. Okay, mate. Good to talk to you. Good talking to you, Shane. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. I always find chatting with Shane Jones fascinating and interesting. He has some good insights there into the challenges for revitalizing the North. And it's interesting to see that he thinks moving the ports of Auckland to Northland is pretty much impossible due to infrastructure issues. And I was pleasantly surprised to hear he's taking the fight to the wokesters. You gotta love those zingers though. Only Shane Jones can deliver those. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.